0: Welcome to the Danny Picard Show, Wednesday, February 24th, 2016. As always, broadcasting from the Beantown Athletics Studio in Dorchester, Massachusetts, Beantown Athletics, the only union screen printer in Boston. Go to BeantownAthletics.com right now. That's BeantownAthletics.com or give them a call at 617 282 4181. That's 617-282-4181. Beantown Athletics is also home of the best skate shopping in New England. So grab your skates, swing by the shop on Granite Avenue in Dorchester. There's plenty of parking out back and make sure you tell them I sent you. So I did tell you on yesterday's podcast that I was going to be joined in studio by Jared Carabas of Boston Sports, but Uh, A little miscommunication on the schedule. That's my fault. We will do it next week. I believe for next, we'll record it in studio for next Wednesday. Uh, That, I mean, that could change in the next week, but it will be next week. Jared Karapas, Boston Sports. We'll get to some baseball. I mean, we have plenty of time to talk spring training baseball because today, on this Wednesday, at least with the Boston Red Sox, today's the first day of full team workouts, right? The first day of full team workouts, and yet here we are, the last three or four days, already having issues with certain players on this Red Sox team. And some people have told me that I've overreacted to the Pablo Sandoval, Hanley Ramirez stuff. I don't think I have, mainly because to me, I've been very careful to point out to people that I'm stressing here. The, the biggest issues with Hanley and Pablo are the production issues, all right? It, it all comes back to last year's production, given the money that they're making and the team being in last place and everybody asking for a little bit more out of them in 2016. So it all goes back to production and moving forward, it's going to be about their production. But when you don't produce last year, you can send me all the old pictures of Pablo in a Giants uniform looking fat, looking like a fat slob there, also looking like a fat slob here. I mean, you can send me all those pictures. I've actually come out, if you listen to me, you know, if you don't just hear what you want to hear, I've said many times, Pablo Sandoval's weight has never been an issue for me. And even when I saw on Sunday, Pablo walk into spring training looking like he did. Certainly not looking like a guy who has a uh, body fat percentage of 17, which is what John Henry is currently. As we speak, I'm reading the tweets on Twitter as I'm recording this show. These are live tweets. John Henry is saying that Pablo Sandoval has a body fat percentage of 17%. Come on. Come on. Now, I haven't, Googled 17% body fat to see what exactly that looks like, but I'm willing to bet that if I stopped this recording, in fact, you know what? I'll do it right now. I'll Google it right now, live, and I know you're not hearing this live, but I'm not going to stop the podcast and do it. Let, let's Google it. 17% body fat, all right? Let's just see what this looks like. Like a Let's see if a body fat scale comes up. Uh, let's see here. I have one scale, okay? And I, the first scale, yeah, a couple, we got a couple. 17% body fat is not what Pablo Sandoval is. It's just, that's what John Henry's trying to say. And perhaps this is the product of, there are too many people that are speaking right now from the Red Sox organization. You got Henry today. You had Tom Warner yesterday and the day before that. You had Dave Dombrowski. I don't know. Has the GM spoken? Mike Hazen, has he spoken? Maybe. You have the manager, John Farrell. Uh, you got the players themselves. It's just everybody's talking. And when everybody talks, things are going to be said that we're going to laugh at when it comes Is something that seems so obvious that Pablo Sandoval's body fat percentage is is not 17%. That seems pretty low to me. And Pablo Sandoval does not look like a guy who has that low a body fat percentage right now. And, but look, I don't expect the organization. I've told you, I don't expect the organization, the Red Sox front office, President of Baseball Operations, ownership, GM, manager. I don't expect them to come out and crush Pablo Sandoval before the teams even had full team workouts in spring training. Like, I don't expect them to do that. In fact, I think that would be a bad decision. I told you yesterday. A bad decision for this team this season and a bad business decision if there is the chance that you are behind the scenes maybe making some phone calls to try to move these guys. You're not going to come out and crush them publicly. That doesn't make any sense. It doesn't do anything to help your team right now. And it certainly doesn't do anything to help your organization if you are maybe entertaining the idea of moving one of two, one or two or maybe both of these guys. I don't know. I don't think you move both. I think you try to move one. I told you yesterday. I think Hanley's got to be the one because he's trying to learn a new position. I just I can't envision that going well. And, but but on top of it all, like, all the things that I've been upset about with Pablo Sandoval, I told you, when I saw the video of him walking in on Sunday to spring training, looking like a fat bastard, guess what? I kind of laughed. But then the words that come out of his mouth saying, I got nothing to prove to anybody, I didn't jump on a scale all offseason, they didn't ask me to lose weight, and yet come to find out, the team actually asked them to stay in shape, and they even said, well, you know, the the expectation there is that you would lose some weight. Well, you never know if you don't step on a fucking scale. And combined with the words coming out of his mouth and how he looked, I had a problem with it, but I really had a problem with it only because he was awful last year. He didn't produce. All right, he signed a $95 million contract and he shows up the first year, he doesn't produce. And the team finished in last place, so what I expect from him is a little bit more commitment. And when the words coming out of his mouth show me that combined with how he looks, he didn't p- put in the work, Didn't he doesn't show the commitment to improve upon last year's production, well, I, I'm upset about that. And I think the organization is too. They can say what they want publicly. I mean, Tom Warner kind of slipped yesterday, didn't he? He said something. He said at one point during one of the interviews he did, because these guys are doing their media rounds, and forgive me if I... Uh, lost track of who said what where, but Warner did say at one point yesterday that at least I I saw I, I see a, I saw a clip of Lou Maloney on Comcast Sportsnet talking about it last night, saying uh, he was happy to see Tom Warner say he was disappointed in Pablo Sandoval showing up. So there's at least a little hint of maybe how they feel behind the scenes. Look, if I'm Dave Dombrowski, I'm more than disappointed. I'm downright bullshit, okay? That he shows up, and not just shows up looking like that, but saying the things that he's saying. When you had the type of season you had last year, that's what, it's all, that's what it all comes back to. Same thing with Hanley. Like, not only you learn in a new position, but offensively, the only real reason that that you're even given getting a shot to play first base for the Red Sox is because they want your bat in the lineup. But they want you to improve upon those numbers last year. So it's just Pablo and Hanley, it all comes back to production, and it's all going to lead us into their production this year. Now, could they, the first month of the season, come out and rip the tits off the ball and and you know be offensive powerhouses, hit 285 to 300? maybe, maybe they could, maybe they hit 290. I don't know. Maybe they're producing at the plate. And if that's the case, then, then, you know, we'll applaud them for it. And we should, because that's really what we're asking for. We're asking for the production. But I, I don't think that it is a reasonable expectation to believe that they'll produce better than they did last year when they aren't showing the proper commitment they're not showing that they care at all. So that's a problem. And and that's why I'm pissed off. And, and, and I think that's why a lot of people are pissed off because I said it. If Pablo hit 290 last year, all right, and didn't have the 12th worst OPS in the league, I would say, well, he's always been a big dude. Cut him some slack. He had a nice season last year. He was just as big last year. And he had a, he, you know, he still came out and, and produced and was a, a major piece to the middle of this lineup. So let's the, don't worry about it. Don't worry about that. He'll be fine. That that's how I would react to it. But that's not the case. And Hanley, you know, I, I tell you what. Here's the deal with Hanley. Is, you know, if if he hit. 300 last year. You know, if he hit 30 home runs and drove in 100 runs, perhaps he's still in the outfield. Perhaps he's still in left field, right? But the offense couldn't make up for some of the defensive issues, and the defense looked even worse because of it. Where you say, wow, he's not even hitting, and he certainly can't play the outfield. You got to do something with him because you got these kids coming up now. You got Jackie Bradley Jr., you got Mookie Betts. But I mean... Hanley Ramirez didn't make you forget about his defensive issues with his offense. He didn't produce at the plate. And that's all that we're asking for is production. Okay? And I understand. They got Rusne. They got Mookie. They got Jackie Bradley. They got they got a lot of guys out there. And you need to make room for him. So that's why you're moving Hanley into the infield. But we're making such a big deal out of it because my point is we're making such a big deal out of it because of the the lack of production offensively. You know if that's not going to be there, you got to do something the only reason hanley's still with this team is because of his offense or at least the idea that all right he could bust out of it this season i I just don't know if it's as much of a lock as as some people have said it is for him to have a big offensive year at thirty two years old I don't know if I don't know if hamley and pablo their production is trending upwards and, and that's really been the major reason I've been upset with their mindset, their attitude and their lack of commitment to this team a last place team. It's mind-boggling and to me with the combined with the money they make, it's not too much to ask for them to at least you know act the right way when they show up. they didn't do that. So yeah it pisses me off. And it's not something I want to deal with. And it's not something the organization wants to deal with. But since they have to deal with it, they got too many people that have to answer questions about it. It's just one too many people are talking with the Red Sox. But that's what happens when you have this big ownership group and you got all these people involved and you got a president of baseball operations and you got a GM and you got a, a manager that, that is going to be on a short leash. I mean, it's, it's not an ideal start to spring training, but it all comes back to the two players that sucked last year, that come in this year not showing like they gave a damn about their lack of production last year. That's the problem. And and their production will matter with this team this season. All right? I don't want to do the Hanley-Pablo thing every day. I don't. And we won't. Because there's other stuff going on in the world of sports. It's just You know, we don't have NFL right now. NBA, we're watching some of these playoff races. NHL... We're looking ahead to the trade deadline, which is next this coming Monday. And I'm working on a couple NHL guests to get either in studio or over the phone, either before the deadline or right after the deadline, to either preview it or react to it. I mean, I'll do both. But it's just, the NHL trade deadline, you know, it's it's not... You don't get... Like, going into the NBA trade deadline, you got superstar names that I feel like are always on the block or rumored to be moved. In the NHL, do you get that as much? I don't get the sense that you do. So the NHL makes the NHL deadline a little less exciting. And uh, so I don't know how much you actually want to get wrapped up into the NHL trade deadline stuff. But really, before we get into regular season baseball, uh, things like this in spring training will be major storylines. And uh, I'm not going to shy away from them. Certainly not with a team like the Red Sox that's looking to bounce back from two straight finishes in the basement of the AL East. You just want... You just want these guys that you're hoping to be in the middle of your lineup and be successful players for. You just, you're Just just hoping that... It's not too much to ask for Pablo and Hanley to act like they can. At least act like it. They don't even do that. And And... Everybody now has to answer questions because of it. And we'll see how it plays out, but uh, right now it's not pretty. And I, I don't think it's an overreaction for people that want to be upset with the way they've shown up to spring training based on their numbers, based on their salaries, and based on the the last place finish of the team the last two seasons. I mean, let's go here. Let's, let's figure this out, huh? And uh, until they figure it out, And we won't know if they figured it out, really, until we get into the regular season. When it actually counts. When the games actually count. And uh, until then, you know, we're going to have the basketball playoff race in the NBA. We're going to have the NHL playoff race. Um, We're going to get March Madness, the NCAA college basketball tournament. Uh, We're going to have WrestleMania coming up here soon. As I told you a little bit about yesterday, and uh, also something else we're going to have which is is going to be here next week, late next week. It's going to be back. It returns. What is it? What returns? Deflategate. That's right. Deflategate is back in the news. That is because the NFL they have hired an attorney who is called The LeBron James of appeal attorneys, that's right, and the appeal hearing, okay, the NFL's appeal, it will be heard next Thursday, March 3rd, next Thursday, March 3rd, oral arguments will take place before a three-judge panel in the U.S. Court of Appeals for the second unit uh, it'll be Thursday at 2 o'clock, around 2 o'clock, I think, they're saying. And this is going to be in the news every single day. Court proceedings, court documents, uh, transcripts. I believe we'll be able to read this stuff and see this stuff, much like we saw in the actual Judge Berman hearing. But uh, this is deflacate. If you're into this thing, then You're going to have some news next week. It begins next Thursday. But the news today is that the NFL, they have hired an attorney by the name of Paul Clement. All right. Paul Clement. He is the former U.S. Solicitor General under George W. Bush. And he has been called the LeBron James of Appeal Attorneys. How about that? So what that means is he's the best in the world, right? That's basically what that means. He's the best in the world. Now, what does that mean for the NFL's fight? What does that mean for Tom Brady? I don't know. I don't know that I'm going to sit here and be able to guess what's going to happen next in deflategate because throughout this entire process, which has now lasted over a year, every single time we've tried to guess and use common sense, we've been wrong. And so common sense has not been used. The common sense of the NFL, you would think, would be to stop fighting this, but that's not the case. They're not going to stop fighting, and uh, as long as they keep fighting, there, I guess, is the possibility that Tom Brady will still have to serve this four-game suspension. Now, I think it's ridiculous uh, that he would ever have to serve that, and I have, you know, I would think, again, I would think common sense would be that, the NFL appeals and they don't win and judge Richard Berman's ruling stands. And and you know what, even if that happens in, in this next courtroom, then what we're seeing from this LeBron James of appeal attorneys is that this is a guy who's willing to fight and continue to fight and continue to take it to the next level of courts. So, I don't think this is going to end anytime soon, and as long as it doesn't end, there is still sort of this cloud hanging over the head of Tom Brady, which is the possibility that he still at some point has to serve a four-game suspension. Again, I think it would be ridiculous if he had to do that, and the NFL can say all they want because Roger Goodell was asked during the week of the Super Bowl, you know, since he's going to keep fighting this thing, would he, if they win... You know, would he still punish Tom Brady and make him serve a four-game suspension? And Goodell never said yes or no. He sort of, you know, he he went in a roundabout way, as he always does, to answer the question. But he So he didn't answer the question the way anybody wanted him to, with a yes or no answer. He basically said, look, here's what we're doing. We're still fighting the fight. And we're fighting it based on our rights in the CBA that allow me to give this type of punishment based on on something that affects the integrity of the game, right? If, if there is conduct detriment, detrimental to the game, I have the ability under the CBA to punish someone as much as I want, uh, as harsh as I want, and that's my right, and that's what we're fighting. Judge Richard Berman said we didn't have that right, we say we have that right. And if we win, I, you know, this, is, this isn't about a player, this is about our right. Well, it does all come back to the player. Because if they do win, then they have the ability to suspend Tom Brady for games. And I don't see why they wouldn't do that if they win. Because they're obviously trying to show how much power they have as a league right now. Good That's what they're doing. That's why they're still fighting this. this. is This is a power issue. And if you want to show you have power, if you end up winning your appeal somehow, which I don't think should happen, but let's say you do. Let's say the NFL does if they wanted to show their power, why wouldn't they suspend Tom Brady if they had the ability to do so when they felt so strongly about suspending him the first time? Right? So I think they would still suspend Tom Brady. And as long as this thing is still going, as long as the NFL's still fighting it, and I guess now as long as they're fighting it with this guy, Clement, Paul Clement, the LeBron James of appeal attorneys, and his history is a guy who's going to keep fighting the fight. Then they're in it for the long haul. And as long as they're in it for the long haul, there is that possibility that Tom Brady at some point, you know, if the NFL wins their appeal, that Tom Brady would have to serve as suspension. But then, you know, there's going to be more appeals. I Look, I don't know where this ends. I don't. I, I, I know where I'd like it to end. I'd like it to end with the NFL stop fighting the fight. But they're not going to do that, apparently. And uh, this thing will resume next week next Thursday. So we'll keep our eye on that. I know there's been a recent discussion based on a Peter King story for the Monday morning quarterback where he says that the league should give the Patriots their draft picks back. You know, I mean, he says this a year later and my response to it is, "Well, Peter King, where the fuck have you been?" I mean, what what new information do you have that makes you believe uh, now is the time for you to come out and say the NFL should give the Patriots their draft picks back? I mean, most people with a brain have thought since day one that they should have never had the draft picks taken away. And since the NFL hasn't really had any evidence and even admitted such in a court of law that they have no such direct evidence, then you would think that the Patriots would get the draft picks back. Um... So, but since Peter King said that, everybody's now jumping on board going, oh, yeah, you know, he's right. I mean, well, he is right, but what's taken him so long to to come up with this idea and this story and and this reasoning as to why the Patriots should get their draft picks back? I believe they should, but where's Peter King been? Why is he just thinking of this now? Uh, so that's why this has been in the news again, but it will be in the news for real Next Thursday, when this stuff gets back into the courtroom and the NFL's appeal is heard and oral arguments are heard next Thursday, March 3rd. So we'll keep an eye out on that. Uh, I'll always keep an eye out on the NBA playoff race and the NHL playoff race and anything that happens at spring training. But to get away from a couple of those storylines for a day, uh, I What I thought I'd do is, there's two stories that are out there that are not related to the four major sports, but they are two of the most polarizing figures in sports, and, and they're in the news, and I do feel like these are the biggest stories of the day. One of these polarizing figures is Tiger Woods. The other is Conor McGregor. They're both in the news, and they're both major stories. Now, I don't know if you care about golf or I don't know if you follow UFC or fighting in general. I mean, I consider myself more of a boxing guy than a UFC guy, but I think it's it's very difficult to ignore the biggest names in each industry, even if you're not a fan of boxing or the UFC. I mean, you know who you know who Conor McGregor is, right? If you don't, well, then maybe you're just not a fan of sports in general. Not necessarily, you're not just, you know, um, anti-MMA. You might not just be a fan of sports. You, because you don't need to be a UFC fan to know who Conor McGregor is, right? You don't. And he's in the news. So I'll get to the McGregor stuff in a moment, but I want to begin with the Tiger Woods thing because recent reports have Tiger Woods suffering some vicious setbacks. I, I mean, I'm just reading tweets from people who seem to be in the know or at least think they're in the know enough and have received some type of information that they thought was strong enough to report. And one of these reports has Tiger Woods suffering a setback to the point where he can't even sit up straight and that he has no foreseeable return. There's no foreseeable return for Tiger Woods right now. And when I say he can't sit up straight, the report is that Tiger Woods has to sit in a car with the chair fully reclined. So he basically just has to lay down wherever he goes. He can stand up and he can lay down. He can't sit up straight with his back at a 90-degree angle, right, with his legs. That's a problem, you would think, to the point where if you had that type of problem, you, you probably wouldn't be able to swing a golf club. Now... That's a pretty strong report for one of the biggest names in the in the golf world still. And when you go and look at the odds to win the Masters, which is coming up, and it'll be here before you know it, Tiger Woods is listed on the odds. Now he's not a fa- he's not you know one of the top favorites, but he's on there. Uh, he's not really that much towards the bottom, so there are people who are expecting a Tiger Woods return as soon as the Masters. And if that is the case, if he is going to return by the Masters, you would think that this recent report, the last couple days, that have Tiger Woods suffering setbacks to the point where he can't even sit up straight. You would think that those reports are not true, right? If people are expecting him to play in the Masters. So I... I was curious yesterday as I saw this stuff come on. I'm thinking, well, what what is it? You know, because then Tiger's agent comes out and says that that's not true. And so you're going, what is it? Is he going to play in the Masters? Or is he having setbacks to the point where he can't sit up straight? Because it's one or the other. It's not setbacks, he can't sit up straight, and he'll be ready for the Masters. Like, there's no way. The Masters is too soon. It's one or the other. Okay? He either returns to the Masters, Or he can't can't sit up straight. And Tiger Woods himself, actually, is the guy that comes out. There's no report from someone that says, well, no, Tiger Woods tells me he's fine. Tiger Woods comes out with a tweet this morning. And it's a video tweet. It's a tweet of himself taking a swing, a full swing, on a golf simulator. You know, you put the ball down... And you hit it into the screen. You actually hit the ball into a screen, and the screen projects where that ball would go, where it would land. I, I would, I've never hit off one of these things. Yeah, they have one on the Dan Patrick show. You can, if you watch that show on TV, they're always hitting off it. I would love to get in one of those and, and swing the the golf club in there. I would love it. I'd love to have my own. Those things are pretty expensive, though, right? I mean, I'd love to have one, even though we would get nothing done if we had one of those things in here at Beantown Athletics. Nobody would get any work done. In fact, it's probably, you know, if you do need to get things done, it's probably in your best interest to not have that thing around you, right? To not have one of those golf simulators. But uh, it would be pretty cool. The closest I've come to having one of those was when I had a Wii, and I don't have a Nintendo Wii anymore. See, in my old apartment, we got a Wii. For the purpose of Tiger Woods, you get the Wii controller and you'd be able to use it as the golf club and swing. That's as close as I've come to having an actual golf simulator. But these things are so cool that you actually get to hit the ball into the screen. Now, they've been around for a while, but you think about it again when you see someone like Tiger Woods hitting it into the screen and it drops down right onto the green. I believe it dropped down right onto the green. I believe he put it on the green. If it wasn't a green, it was the fairway and then he was going to have to hit... Over uh, something else. Maybe it was. A, it looked like it might have been a dog leg right. Right? Uh, is that what it looks like? I only watched it once or twice. But I, it was basically a great shot from Tiger Woods. <laughs> I, I don't want to sit here and say that those things are perfect. But you would think, since they're that expensive, they probably are pretty good, gives you a pretty good vibe as to where that ball would go if you hit it like that in real life. So, I'm going to say that I trust it and I trust the accuracy of the golf simulators that are out there, and I'm, I think I'm going to trust the one that Tiger Woods has because he probably has the best of the best, okay? And he takes that type of swing, and he tweets out the video today, and I believe he said something along the lines of making some pretty good progress. That would look like some, some better progress than the report that came out that said he can't sit up straight. So I think we know which one to believe that maybe he is closer to playing in the masters than this report wanted to make it out to be and i i guess we don't believe you can't believe that report right that he can't sit up straight if he sits in a car he has to sit in a reclined position <laughs> i mean that can't be true and he basically just proved that report to be false by standing up taking a good old hack into his golf simulator and um showing the world that He actually is progressing, progressing nicely to the point where, well, if he can swing like that, you would think that perhaps a return for Tiger Woods isn't that far off. And if you happen to be someone that has one of those golf simulators and you would like to work out a little deal so we can get one in here at Beantown Athletics, be my guest and reach out to me because um, we would love to do that. And we would love for then the the business of Beantown Athletics and the Danny Picard Show to be completely shut down because we wouldn't, I wouldn't be doing a podcast and they wouldn't be getting any screen printing work done. We might improve our golf game. That, that might happen, but <laughs> we uh we wouldn't get much work done, but I'm willing to take the risk. I'm willing to take the risk. I'd love to have one of those things. That would be sick. I've always thought of building a net, like in my yard. Yes, I in salty. I got a pretty big yard. I do. We used to have a pool in my yard. My block, grown up, um, where my parents still live. It, the house I grew up in. The pools on that block, we had the most pools in salty out of any block. I think. I mean, it wasn't like. It not. it wasn't an in-ground pool. Fancy pool. It was like a four-foot pool. A uh, little round pool. It was... It got the job done, put it that way. It wasn't the fanciest thing in the world, but it got the job done. It's not there anymore. It got the job done. The point is, my yard's decent size. Good enough to where I could have a net in the back. And I've always thought of that. Like getting some type of net, building some type of net to hit golf balls into. The concern would be... You know, there's houses all around you. And if anything went wrong and you just drove a ball into that net and it ended up going through, you could kill someone. So, now I know what you say. You put like four nets in there and there's no way it could get through. There would still be that fear in the back of my mind that one of those, just one of those balls is getting through. And one of those gets through? You you got your driver out? You got a five iron out there? You know, if you're not necessarily hitting a nine iron and putting it up in the air, you're getting a line drive shot, you could put it through someone's window right off someone's head and kill them. I mean, that's what could happen. So that's really my fear with that. And that's why I've never gone through with the uh, the net to hit into in the yard. But it would be great. But what would be perfect would be one of the golf simulators that you see Tiger Woods hitting into. That's what would be great. If anybody knows uh, where, you know, if you... You know somebody who's selling them and company that sells them, you want a little little read, a little live read for it? Could take one in here, being town athletics. Just throwing it out there. Uh Outside of the Tiger Woods stuff, because it looks like he's gonna return sooner than this report. The uh, the last couple of days made us believe. I I get to the other most polarizing figure in the world of sports, and that's Conor McGregor. And the news on Conor McGregor, current UFC featherweight champ who just you know he beat Aldo, won the belt at 145, uh, Conor McGregor has been dead set since he won that fight on moving up the ranks and immediately getting another belt, and he wants all the belts. He wants them all. He wants to move up and get them all. And his next scheduled fight was supposed to be UFC 196 on March 5th against the lightweight champ, Rafael Dos Anjos, who fights at 155. And again, who is the lightweight champ. So McGregor would be moving up in weight from featherweight to lightweight at 155. And the news yesterday was Dos Anjos had to pull out of the fight Because of a broken foot. It marks the second straight UFC champ to pull out of a fight with McGregor. And he had a broken foot. And the question now is, what happens with McGregor? Well, that was the question yesterday, actually. Today, we know the answer. McGregor will still fight on March 5th at UFC 196 in Vegas. He won't fight against Rafael dos Anjos for the lightweight championship. Uh, Again, he would have to fight at 155. Having won his previous fight at 145, McGregor would have to go up to 155. Now, McGregor's got to go up to 170 because he will fight welterweight Nate Diaz in a non-title fight at UFC 196 on March 5th. So, McGregor not only was going to move up one-weight class to the lightweight division, to fight those Anjos and get another title. But now, in a in a short period of time, in just over a week, he's going to have, you know, a week, we'll call it a week and a half. He's going to have to get up to 170 to, to an extra weight class. He's going up two weight classes to fight a welterweight, Nate Diaz, in a non-title fight. Uh, so they'll fight at 170. And, you know, Nate Diaz... He is somebody that's going to talk some trash, too. You know, he's not going to be one of these guys that's going to sit back and listen to McGregor just chirping. And and if you've listened to me, you know how I feel about McGregor. There are times in those press conferences where he goes a little over the top, and I'm like, all right, it's a little too much. Like, this is too much, okay? Uh, and 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 I sometimes can't really deal with it to the point where I start thinking about what it would be like if somebody did catch him with one and beat him. Like, what what would change? What would happen then? How would McGregor then, how would he carry himself after if somebody now, in the next couple fights, does catch him with one and and ends up beating him? Like, is can McGregor carry this personality, this over-the-top, outrageous uh, personality? Can he keep doing this? Can he keep acting like this? Because there are some times where I just think it's too much. I will say he is entertaining, and he is right when he says the people come and watch him. I mean, he is putting butts in the seats. He is making his company more money than anybody else in the company. That's that's for sure. He's right when he says that. And his personality has a whole lot to do with it. But you got to be able to back it up. And the good thing about McGregor is he can back it up. Okay? He can. And what he's now doing, though, is something that you know, I think people, I think there are guys in the sport and not even just MMA, but also in the boxing world. I think there are guys that think about doing this, that that might have, that they get the idea, they have it in their minds that, wow, I'd love to sort of run through the company and run through the sport and pick up titles in multiple weight classes. Like, I'd, I'd love to do that. I think there are guys that think that, who are at the top of their game, but they never actually go through with it for whatever reason. They don't. Maybe because it's unrealistic at the end of the day. They might get that in their mind, but it might just be so unrealistic that they they really don't follow through with it. Conor McGregor is... You gotta give him credit. He's following through with it. I mean, to go from 145 to win the featherweight title at 145 to then his very next fight to try to win the lightweight championship. And to be honest, I mean, if you've seen McGregor recently, he's put on the weight. I mean, he's able to do it. And he looks like a monster. So... And going up 10 pounds, I feel like he was going to win that lightweight title on March 5th at UFC 196. I think he was going to win that. And he would have had the featherweight and the lightweight. And then what he would have said was, he's going to go after the welterweight title. Now, Nate Diaz is not a champ. And this is a non-title fight. So, but it is a test. I mean, to go, it's one thing to go from 145 to 155. It's now another in a week and a half here to get up to 170. He says he can do it. You know, how does that affect his speed? I'm sure it's going to affect him. But the mindset that McGregor has is, I tell you what, it's a unique mindset. It's a wild one. And to go along with the unique mindset, him actually going through with it, which is I'm going to run through this company, regardless of weight, regardless of the class and the division, and I'm going to, you know, light it on fire and then walk away when it's in flames as the top dog that's ever come through the sport of any type of fighting. He is trying to go through with this. So we'll see how he matches up against Nate Diaz. But I just saw a video of him on YouTube yesterday. And this was put out there, I think, about a week ago. And, uh, again, we it was unknown that Dos Anjos was going to back out or have a broken foot. So to this point when this interview was done, and I'm getting this from Severe MMA. So if you go to Severe MMA's YouTube page... They have a nice one-on-one interview inside the locker room. It looks like after a training session with McGregor, McGregor, you know, he's he's got the shirt off. He's he's jacked out of his tree. And you can tell he's put on some weight, some muscle mass. You know, not in a bad way. Not in a Pablo Sandoval way. He's put it on in a muscle mass form the way you need to do it if you want to compete with somebody in a higher weight division. And I'm watching this interview and it wasn't it it wasn't an interview in which he is coming out and maybe saying you know calling out guys specifically by name as much as he usually does because again, I think those those interviews are a little sometimes over the top. This one it was extreme, but it's the best one I've seen to really get you in the mindset of where McGreg is at right now and, and and what he has planned for himself. And uh, I'm going to play a couple parts to this because I, I, I mean, it's, it's, it's eye-opening to me just to sort of get into his mind. You know, it's one thing to see some of these press conferences where he's just calling out like Aldo, right? Those one-on-ones with Aldo, they did their media rounds, and they had all those big press conferences, and he's getting in his face, and he's calling them out. Yeah, and that, that's different, though. That's him going after the guy he's fighting next. Just to listen to McGregor talk about where he stands in the business and how he doesn't care about division or weight class and he wants to take all the belts, it comes off kind of like a WWE-type interview, right? It comes off like that. But you have to put it aside that this isn't WWE. This is real life. And he's stepping in the octagon with guys that want to kill him, okay? And the guys he's stepping in the octagon with, he wants to kill as well. So this is real life. This is real fighting. And um, he wants all the belts. There's one thing to say it. There's another thing to do it. At least he has proven that he's putting his money where his mouth is. And he's going for it. Can he do it? I don't know. But I thought this interview this past week on YouTube with severe MMA, I just want to play a, a clip for you here because I, I think it's highly entertaining and it, it is one of the better interviews I've I've seen and heard from Conor McGregor. It's one that I don't really cringe and say, all right, this is a little too much. It's one where I, I think he's open about, here's his mindset, here's what he's setting out to do and, uh, you know, if you don't like it, go fuck yourself. Or at least... Try and stop me, because I'm coming for you all. I mean, it, this is great. Here it is. I'll play it for you. Again, from Severe MMA. Do you think that
1: people are just too quick to say, oh, Conor's picking what he wants, Conor's doing what he wants? I it's am like... picking what I want, and I am doing what I want. When you can rack up $400 million in revenue for the company in back-to-back events, you can do whatever the fuck you want. I'm living the whatever the fuck I want life. That's the life I live. Whatever I want whenever I want. And I have earned that through hard work, through sacrifice, and that's it, through through victory. I got to fucking work here. I'm coming for that belt. I'm coming for the next belt. I'm coming for the whole company. Look look at everyone down there, 180 to 200, easy, everybody. Everyone I'm sparring is well over welterweight. I've got middleweights coming in fresh to try and wear me down. You know what I mean? So why not go up? They get slower and they get less free up there I feel, they're stiffer, they're, they're even more stuck than the lightweight division so I'll keep going, I'll keep eating, keep training and keep going until fucking all the belts are wrapped up. I'm afraid of no one, I'll go up and fight anyway and that's it, anyone can come down and step in that cage with me or any cage and see, see how they fare but nobody fares well that's for sure, somewhere along the, somewhere along the line of Kim about I don't know what it became about, but it didn't become about martial arts anymore. You know? How many times have you seen a champion instantly go up? How many how many years have you heard about super fights, this, that, and nothing? How many times you heard about little sore toe? An opponent bounce. You know what I mean? That's there's pussies everywhere in this game and that's it, I don't know. I'm here to fight. I'm here to win every belt. And then I'm and then I'm gone. And then I'll see the game later. I'll walk away from this game. I'll set it a blaze and walk away. And
0: that's it, So, So there you go. There's a little peek inside of the mind of Conor McGregor. And really, I should say, uh, inside of the chest. Rip open the guy's chest. That is what he's got going on in there. Uh, He's going for it again. Uh, There are a lot of guys in in the sport of boxing and MMA that I think would like to, to do something like this. And they either A, don't have the ability, or B, just really don't even have the balls to do it. It's a ballsy... This is a ballsy fucking thing to do to jump up in weight class, especially this quickly. Now, I'm waiting for the first person to come out and maybe accuse... Like, if McGregor comes up and beats the shit out of Diaz and and then goes back down and maybe fights Dos Anjos, I mean, who knows? Maybe McGregor beats Diaz And then he gets a shot at the welterweight title. And then he wins that and falls down and waits until Joe Sanjos is back with that belt and fights him. And maybe he has the featherweight, the lightweight and the welterweight. I'm going to wait for the first person to, to call him out for some shenanigans. And when I say shenanigans, I'm talking about, you know, the possibility of some type of help when it comes to maybe a performance enhancing drug. I mean, I'm not accusing him of that, but I'm but you know. I mean, come on. Well, it's 2016. Uh, PED accusations they get thrown out there like like it's nothing these days. So I'm just waiting for the first person. You know what? It might even be Diaz. <laughs> you, you might even see Diaz come out before this fight and accuse him of something crazy. You might. And and you know, that might even be that might even be worse for Diaz cuz that might give McGregor even more fuel to his fire to go out and actually do this. But uh, it's a ballsy move, and and a lot of guys don't do it, one, because they don't have the balls to do it, and two, they don't have the ability uh, to, to even think that it would be realistic for them to just run through different weight classes and try to win different belts in a short period of time. But McGregor's just kind of a psycho. And on top of it, it turns out that he's a great businessman because of it. And he's doing the UFC very well right now. And he is going to fight. You know, it's one thing to talk the talk. It's another thing to walk the walk. And McGregor is certainly attempting to walk the walk. So he will fight Nate Diaz at 170 on March 5th, UFC 196. Holly Holm also on that card. Uh, So I'll be paying attention to that. Really the fight we want to see, though, is Holly Holm versus Ronda Rousey. And uh, I'll be rooting for Holly Holm. Like, I don't want her to lose this next fight. That wouldn't be. I don't think that would be very good for that, for the women's division. But um, that's where we stand in the UFC world. And anything else that happens or is said by any of these guys, I will react to it. You know, it is good there to get a couple minutes of of something else that's not Pablo and Hanley. Because, I, I look, I sit here on my computer during this podcast, and I do refresh Twitter. I mean, it's something that I do. And and if there's something breaking news that happens, I got the TV on in front of me here at the Beantown Athletic Studios. And if something breaks, then then I'll react to it. You know, a lot of the reaction on Twitter right now has to do with Pablo Sandoval and uh, his weight and John Henry coming out saying he's 17% body fat, which everybody knows is bullshit. If you know anything about... Body fat percentages, and especially if you've seen Pablo Sandoval the last couple days. But now, in the last half hour, I'm reading quotes from Pablo Sandoval himself from reporters down at spring training that is saying Pablo himself is saying that he's down from what 23% body fat last year to 17% this year. He's confirming it. What John Henry said I mean, what would be the real confirmation would be the actual body fat percentage test. And I don't necessarily know that Pablo Sandoval is going to stand there in front of the media and give anybody that. But it just, it speaks to the fact that, you know, here's what I think. I think if Pablo Sandoval showed up to spring training and he said, you know, the fact that he came out and said, I never weighed myself this offseason is just mind-boggling. And then he said, I don't have anything to prove to anybody. Again, yes, you do. You, your production last year was horrible. So you do have something to prove. You just signed a $95 million deal. You know, if he didn't say those things, I don't know that we would be reacting to this stuff the way we're reacting to it. But because those words came out of his mouth and, and his mindset was this one of just a careless asshole combined with how he looks, well, this, he, he made this a story. He did. He made this a story the way he showed up with his attitude at spring training and the Hanley stuff at first base. I mean, I do think the Hanley at first base was going to be a story anyways, but I do think it would be less of a story if he showed a little bit more commitment to it. If he did show more commitment and he, and he didn't show that. So these two guys brought it upon themselves and they put the pressure on the organization to defend them right out of the gate. And when we start getting into descriptions now with the defending players, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, it looks stupid, and it looks even more foolish, right? So, <laughs> uh, it, it continues to pour out of Fort Myers, and and I'll keep my eye on it, and I'll continue to react to it as well. Hopefully, at some point, we can escape it. It felt good to escape it just for a few minutes with the Tiger Woods and the Conor McGregor stuff, but uh, you know, at, at some point, we need the games to take place for us to actually be able to evaluate these two guys. And I think when we evaluate their production, we're going to look at Pablo and what he does at the plate. We're going to look at Hanley and what he's doing at first base. And if it looks awful or if it looks like it did last year, then for either of these two guys, then we're going to call for the heads and we're going to call for the team to make some type of move. Because it's all going to come back here to how they entered spring training. And we're all going to remember this mindset of the carelessness that they had uh, to bring to the table when they showed up at Fort Myers. So, um, yeah, a lot of pressure. I mean, look, there's just more pressure on these guys now. And we'll find out if they can take it. And it's another aspect of this whole thing, too. It's a whole other aspect. Can you take this pressure? Can you handle this? They have not played in this type of market for an extended period of time where we know or get any type of sense as to whether or not they can handle this pressure. Pablo didn't have to deal with this type of pressure in San Fran. Yeah, there's love in your baseball team in that town. That's one thing. It's another thing to play in Boston. All right, there's Boston, there's New York, and there's, then there's everywhere else. That's just my opinion on it in the professional sports world, especially with baseball. Sandoval hasn't had to deal with it for an extended period. And Hanley, you know, he hasn't either. Florida, then L.A., now Boston, and now a new position in which he's going to touch the ball every time it's on the ground. And he's going to have a lot of decisions to make over there. And he's going to have teammates yelling at him. He's going to have us yelling at him, fans, media, he, they might even be faced with even more pressure when they fire the manager if it doesn't begin well. There's just we're, we're talking about too much stuff right now that I didn't think we'd be talking about. I didn't think we'd have to. I didn't think we'd have to be talking about this stuff, but we are. And 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 it, it's not an overreaction. I don't think. But, um. We're a long ways away from opening day, so we'll keep our eye on any of the storylines down at Fort Myers, and also on the NBA playoff race, the NHL trade deadline coming up on Monday, and uh, anything else that goes on in the world of sports, I will react to it here five days a week. Subscribe at DannyPicard.com, also on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, you name it. Anywhere podcasts are available, you can get this show. Again, I broadcast every single weekday, five days a week. Follow me on Twitter, at Danny Picard. Like my Facebook page, facebook.com slash the Danny Picard Show. I did put a poll on my website, and that's based on one bit of NFL news uh, that is roster-related and player-related and on-the-field related, and it's RG3-related. And the question is, now that the Redskins have said they will pot ways with RG3, where will RG3 end up next season? And the options I have put were based on some of the options they gave you and some of the props in Vegas. Will RG3 end up with the Houston Texans? Will he end up with the Dallas Cowboys, the LA Rams, the New York Jets, or other? Vote right now at DannyPicard.com, and uh, I'll go over some of those results on tomorrow's show and react to the top stories of the day like I do every single weekday. I'm out. Talk to you tomorrow.